Hi, I'm Elaine. Welcome to my podcast channel. Hi, Miss Lyndon Strauss. How are you today? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Um, I heard that you are a research mathematician at Indiana University. Um, could you please self-introduce um, about your specialties and field of study and, yeah, what you normally do? Okay, so I'm an algebraic topologist, and algebraic topologists live on the scene between algebra and topology. Topology is a study of shape where you're not so interested in measuring, like in geometry, but you're trying to describe things qualitatively, like like the figure eight has two holes. And if I did some something with three loops, it would have three holes and they're different. So we're trying to um, discuss things like that. But sometimes it's simple. Like if you have a flower with so many leaves, you can count the leaves. But sometimes it's harder to explain why you look at things and they really look qualitatively different. So we come up with um, algebraic invariants that are groups or rings and they capture this these geometric, not geometric, these topological qualities of, of spaces. On the other hand, sometimes we also take um, algebraic objects and associate to them topological spaces um, where some, some property of the group or ring is, is captured. And sometimes it's easier to manipulate there. And sometimes we zigzag back and forth. So it's a sort of opportunistic field, but I find it uh, very beautiful. And um, one of the applications that my work is most connected to is some invariant in algebra called algebraic K-theory, which is um, quite connected to different things, can be defined in different ways, and they give you the same thing. But it's really hard to calculate, and there's some methods in topology that help you calculate it. So, so basically, and the scene between algebra and, and more visual stuff. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, actually. Um, so as a professor at Indiana University, what is your daily schedule normally like? Oh, it depends. Right now I'm in sabbatical. So oh. actually, I'm in the Institute of Advanced Study and just doing research and listening to talks. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I'm at home, well, they, the, the administration thinks of the job as, as sort of 50% research, 50% teaching. So, um, yeah, so I teach every semester one or two classes, and then I have office hours, and I have graduate students, and um, I prepare, and I do research, and I communicate with my co-authors, mm -hmm. and do administrative stuff. And it's it's really like every day is, is different, except, of course, you have every semester, you have your standard week, weekly schedule of mm -hmm. when your courses yeah. are. Yeah. So uh, are you normally really busy or you think that your current schedule is um, moderately relaxing, moderately um, hectic? So is it really busy or not really busy? Well, I mean, during the semester when I'm not on sabbatical, it's pretty busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so um, I noticed that a lot of high school students are struggling with math. Um, they normally, do you think that mathematical struggles normally come from how you're not interested at the first place or it's just a 
how you don't practice enough problems? How how do you think um, high school students could best prevent this problem? I mean, it's a big question and a question that a lot of people are really trying to figure out because, you know, we, we, we want the citizens of tomorrow to be numerate, not to be scared of this aspect of, of dealing with things. Um, I think, well, I think there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And I think somehow people think that math is some kind of, well, first of all, some people think that you either know it and you don't need to be taught or you will never learn it. And that's completely silly. <laughs> it's yeah. just not true. And, um, and some people think it's like some kind of test that is going to test them and Mm -hmm. measure them and again that's that's really a very unfortunate way of thinking about it because the good attitude is that math is something you can understand and it will help you understand various things you're interested in and uh, if there's if you have the right attitude and there's the next bit of math and you don't understand it well, then you have a well-defined problem and you can ask your teacher or go to office hours or talk with your friends or look at videos on YouTube or whatever it takes mm -hmm. to figure it out. But, but when you have a problem with something in math, one should think about it as, oh no, here's this thing and I don't understand it. I would like to do something so I do understand it rather than, oh, okay, here's a proof, here's a math thing I don't understand, it shows that I'm not a math person, it shows math is not for me, it shows I can't do it, I need to go away. I, I, I don't know how to, to, to teach this attitude to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess maybe getting confidence in elementary school where you feel, okay, there's this competence, I just learned to add numbers, oh good, now I learned to subtract numbers, oh good, and understanding each step probably would give kids more mathematical but I mean there's a lot of people whose job it is to do research into this and and it's a really hard problem because <laughs> I mean each person thinks it's just them that all those other people they could be fine at math but but me personally we've just proved that I can't do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the attitude is really really important for math you think yeah yeah definitely um, and also, I found that, I don't know about the U.S., but in Canada, there are lots of math um, faculties, especially elementary math teachers or high school math teachers. Um, they don't specialize in math and they're teaching math. So do you think that might be the problem why um, math isn't really taken seriously at the beginning stage of learning? So that is why a lot of people don't really pay that much attention to it. I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of fear that students get from the environment about math. So if their experiences for some kids are not really positive from the beginning, I don't think you need to, like if you wanna teach in elementary school, you know, the kind of math that's taught in elementary school, I don't think you need very technical knowledge, mm -hmm. but you do need a positive attitude. Like you need to give kids the sense that what you're teaching them makes sense. 
that they could do it several different ways and get the same answer and that the, this is like two plus two is four it's not open to negotiation it's mm -hmm. the way it is we can see it in all these different um yeah i think if we could get rid of fear <laughs> we yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of um, people are actually scared of them, especially um, some of my um, high school classmates. They kind of dislike or repel this math like they're, no, it's not for them. And um, yeah, I think maybe somewhat inspiring them with how math connects to the society kind of works too. Yeah. 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 Um, Right. So totally, I agree with your point. So you, if you want to learn anything or math in particular, in this case, you have to be, you have to face it. And then you don't, you can't be scared of math. You have to just solve the problem. Um, another question is, do you, uh, what do you think about Googling math problems? So if you're stuck on a problem, do you recommend students to Google the problems or you, you think that they should spend um, as much time as possible on that problem and then and then solve it well as much time as possible is not i mean i do believe that I, I, again another bad attitude which i remember discovering in high school at some point that mm -hmm. sometimes i got a problem and i didn't know how to do it and if i sat there for a while i was able to do it it, it surprised me because before that i just thought okay this one i know this one i don't know that was not not the correct attitude so um I do think it's worth spending some time with a problem. And I love it also when students in my classes have um, study groups where they mm -hmm. talk to each other. And a good study group, a really good study group is sometimes is a, some, a place where sometimes you get things explained to you and sometimes you explain to others because you also learn a whole lot by explaining things to your peers. Yeah. So, so my ideal student would spend some reasonable amount of the problem, then talk about it with um, their study group. If that doesn't work, talk about it with me. I don't really, that's what I tell them to do. I don't really mind mm -hmm. if they manage to find somebody who explains to them how to do a problem on the internet or anywhere else. But uh, what I would like is that, okay, they're, they're, they're totally, uh, stuck on problem number one so they go to the internet and they find some explanation and they formulate to themselves what it is they learned and then they go do problems two and three by themselves <laughs> using this new <laughs> skill that they got so i mean uh regarding it it's, it's a tool and i don't think it's a, not a legitimate tool but you shouldn't just regard doing homework as some kind of searching procedure it's a tool that you can use to help you independently analyze what's going on with your problem. So, yeah, yeah interesting. Um, so I actually uh, found you on um, in the website of Indiana, Indiana University, and I did some research and I found that your son, um, Daniel Larson, just oh, to make sure everything is correctly researched. Um, so how did you inspire him to be so mathematically ingenious? Well, I mean, I, I guess it came from, from him, but, um, when the kids were little, we, we played 
like in the beginning, uh, what was it called? This uh, candy, candy lane. This number, this thing that you you get some, you roll a die, and then you get to go some number of steps. So you count. So when kids are little, I think it's good for them to play counting games, mm -hmm. and then you can move up to shoots and ladders. Yeah. <laughs> candy land, yeah, and then and then you can move up to shoots and ladders, and then you can move up to monopoly, and all these games that just um, they don't teach you anything very deep, but they get you used to adding and subtracting. The first counting, and then adding and subtracting, and then like Monopoly, you can give change and all that kind of stuff. Um, just giving people a comfortable sense of competence with basic mathematical operations is very useful. And then as he became older, my husband was running a, a math club. But I was again talking to kids about concrete problems and trying to make them understand simple things and and then and then I guess th there's two things first of all it's, it's it's good for a kid to be curious so it's good to answer their questions mm -hmm. and um curiosity is of course good for all all things you might want to do and secondly just, just um give people mathematical competencies and have them be comfortable about that and then they know that if there's the next thing well they could become competent at that as well yeah and... yeah for sure um and so i think giving them some confidence and then oh you can do it you can still try your best and you're doing great um especially it's a it's a way of inspiring um mathematically empowered people too i think that's really good and also math games too i think they also help to um, inspire lots of mathematical thinking too. Yeah, um, so I've also done some research and he uh, came up with a proof at last, which is amazing. Um, yes. so, uh, did you work? Did you also support him a lot through his way of coming up with a proof? Well, I mean, he would explain things. He, he, he wanted to talk about them, most of it, was above my, I mean, it's things I don't, I'm not, not part of my expertise, but mm -hmm. I tried to be a, 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 a person willing to discuss it. And I mean, we were amazed at his persistence. Mm -hmm. um, he was also lucky, but he also worked very hard. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're very proud of him, but it was really something that came from within him. Yeah. Uh, so back to the high school students thing. Um, how many hours do you think each student, like anyone who's doing math, um, including me, um, how many hours do you think we should spend on math on average per day? Oh, I don't know. It depends. So say you're taking one math course. Uh, yeah. Okay. So say you're taking, but it, it also depends. I mean, some people sometimes overreach and that requires more hours. But but maybe if you have a course, I don't know, like a university course, I hope my students spend seven or eight hours every week on work related to my course. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, of course, good to do it early so that if you get stuck, you can talk to your friends and you can come to my office hours. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe gonna come and visit you at Indiana University and we can talk about that. But um, yeah, uh, so maybe around, it, it really depends on different uh, people. I think for high school students, maybe two to three hours, if that really is that number. That's... Oh, per, per week or per day? Uh, per day, if that oh, works. Wow. Well, if you could do that, that's wonderful. I mean, it really depends on what your course is and how much homework you're getting and how quickly they're going. It's a very relevant issue. Yeah. And and whether it's a, an overreach, whether you were super prepared or or you you you're missing a bit of the prerequisites. You, you'll have to work more if you have to catch up a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, I really like your idea um, of how you have to, it really depends on different people, how you, you sometimes you have to catch up or sometimes you're just like pretty loosened and it's also um, connected to your personal choices and attitudes as well. So it really depends on different people. Um, yes. So based on your university math courses teaching, um, which course did you think was the hardest to teach and something, a concept that was really hard for students to grasp? Well, I mean, I teach a lot of uh, honors introductory calculus courses and uh, they're a big thing is is uh, formalizing the idea of limits mm -hmm. and people think it's at first students think that I'm just making their life hard that of course you know as x gets closer to three then what would x squared do it has to get closer to nine yeah. uh, so why am I making them do this in this complicated way with two quantifiers and um, whatever but but the reason is that some things are very clear, like what is X squared gonna do when X gets close to three? Of course it will go to nine, mm -hmm. but what is sine X over X going to do when X goes to zero? So sine X gets really, really small and X gets really, really small and who gets small faster? Well, a priori, you, you can't just do it by logic. So you have to do something formal. And, and um, of course, because I'm trying to teach this technique this is like epsilon delta approach to limits. So mm -hmm. because I'm trying to teach it, I use at the beginning simple examples. And because the examples are simple, the students think they could do them without my method. But but eventually they understand that we need this method because there are some examples where it's you can't just know it <laughs> by staring at it. And then you have to work with it. Of course, there are other things that are mm -hmm. hard to explain, but but that's a big um, obstacle in the beginning of the. The funny thing is that once you accept this, mm -hmm. this idea of doing limits properly, then mm -hmm. it becomes very easy to work with because you describe all the properties and the properties are very intuitive and you just prove that they're valid. But then you have the properties and then you can work with it quite quickly. But in these courses, it's, it's sort of a front-loaded thing that you have to understand this concept and you think you sort of do, but, but the definition is formal and the formal definition is not so easy. And I guess proofs in general. Yeah. I, 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 one of my favorite classes to teach is um, Introduction to Abstract Algebra mm -hmm. because you get a lot of people who in the beginning don't aren't experienced with proofs and they don't understand what's this proof thing that we keep talking about. And it's like light bulbs going on during the semester at various points. 
different people suddenly get it and then they become very happy and they like me and they like the course and they're like they're, they're like everything <laughs> and then they have this tool and then it's wonderful for them for other math classes yeah but it's uh, a struggle until you get it yeah for sure like at first um if you just get into university you like you were a high school student and and letting the next day you're a college student. Um, it must be really, really hard to write proofs in this mathematical language. How can I write a good proof? Sort of different. Um, and I guess that you have to struggle to for a year or whatever until um, you can actually. Until the, until the bulb goes on. But it's, it's important to know that it's hard for everybody until you just get it. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, people get pretty unhappy. But you just want to keep going <laughs> because yeah. by the end of the semester most of them do get it yeah and yeah. then it's really nice of course some come knowing it and for some people it's easier than for other people but but that just means that okay or maybe they're lucky or maybe they've seen more similar things but but most people if they really persevere and try to understand assume that it makes sense and just ask and ask and ask until they figure out how it makes sense, they will get it. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. So asking questions too, like why, asking why? Questions, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Not being embarrassed about not understanding. Like if you've done the work and you don't understand something, then you're entitled to ask it even in class and you shouldn't be embarrassed about not knowing it. And mm -hmm. probably if you have a question, there are a lot of other people who also don't know the answer. Yeah, to say it in class, though, you can ask it for us. So yeah, um, I totally agree. Um, even math classes offered at my school, um, I think that a lot of people or students are struggling to speak up even because they are really scared. If, if I ask this question, would everyone think I'm stupid or idiotic? But um, I think really it's just, just ask the question and discuss that topic, it doesn't really matter, but yeah. And in um, related to what you, you were talking about, um, confidence actually um, yes. has to do with this um, math too. So be confident, just take risks as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just the idea that if you've been doing the work, if you've been showing up and you've been reading what you're supposed to read and you've been trying to keep up and you don't get something, you are entitled. <laughs> confidence is hard it's, hard it's it's better to be confident it's important to be confident but it's hard to tell people now you go be confident but to tell people that if you've done all the work and you don't get it you're entitled to ask mm -hmm. that, that's maybe easier to explain because you wonder am i allowed to do it am i not allowed to do it so yes you are allowed to do it yeah for sure and do you think that math mathematical competency um, like basically one, how one is really good at math. Do you think it's um, associated with um, intellectual, this intellectual competency, or maybe someone has high IQ and maybe that person's smart, so that's why he's- I, I hate that. I, I hate this idea of math as a measure of IQ and IQ as a measure of intelligence. I think that's related to a lot of the bad attitudes. I wish we didn't think that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, different people are smart in different ways and if they try harder at different things, they will do better at those things. And some, it's, it comes more easily to some for sure. But mm -hmm. but but if, if motivation and perseverance help too. And yeah, yeah, I mean that's I think maybe the thing that scares the the kid the, the kids who think they're not good at math. They 
think they don't know the answer to some question and they think that the question measures how intelligent they are and they just are not intelligent and therefore they avoid these questions in the future and it's some kind of horrible um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. feedback loop in the bad direction oh, for sure. so we just don't we really don't want to think those i mean it's true that a lot of tests that people use have math questions but but somehow but no there are very intelligent people who find math difficult and we all know them mm -hmm. and, and we really shouldn't measure people by how good they are at math yeah that's that's a silly idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess because a lot of people maybe find math hard, but really um, as a human, um, there's so much parts to the brain. Maybe someone's really artistic and another person's not artistic at all, but very logically competent or is really, really good at math, but not good at painting, something like that. Um, yeah. And I've met people who are very good with logic and, and, and complicated deductions and are scared of numbers, <laughs> if you put it in numbers. Today. Yeah, for sure. Um, and since you are teaching, um, I would say al algebraic geometry or something. Uh, algebraic topology, yeah. Topology and topology, I think, is the hardest. I don't know. A lot of people um, say that topology is actually the hardest course they ever encountered, and a lot of tears come out when they study topology. Is oh. that you think that is true? It's a really hard course. Oh well, I don't. So we teach it as a um, first year graduate course. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's the scariest first year graduate sequence at all. Yeah, I hope not. I hope they don't cry. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I guess a lot of different courses. I mean, different courses are hard for different people. Um, oh, but maybe, but algebraic geometry maybe is a little scarier yeah. than algebraic topology. So, so I teach algebraic topology, which is less scary than algebraic geometry, at least I think so. Oh, what, what makes it less scary than algebraic geometry? Well, I'm, I'm smiling as I'm saying it. I mean, right. the reason is that I know algebraic topology and I don't know algebraic geometry. Okay. But that's, but, okay, but that's a good point. That if I know something, it's not scary. If I don't know it, it is scary. So, you know, so if I try, and, and I need to sometimes use algebraic geometry, and the correct thing is to, isolate what I need and look it up and I definitely use the internet and I now now we get all the papers on the internet so there's there's a sort of place where you can see all the papers and you try to search for something relevant but but the, the correct thing when when I need something from that area which I don't know is to isolate exactly what I need and then try to regard that as my problem and try to find some resources to help me to solve it rather than to say, oh no, um, you know, this is not something I know already. So I can't, I'm stuck. I have to go go away. This is not gonna work. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, of course math is like such a large tree with, with different branches and then topics. It's like a broad, yeah. broad idea. Like um, I think that um, you, you just can't know all the math ever. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, that's that's really, I mean, math has become so much broader. It's, it's huge. Nobody knows all of it. Nobody even knows most of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, and if you like um, specialize in math and you do math for all your life, you might just know, I think, 1% of all the math ever that exists. Is that true? Um, maybe. I, I, I uh, probably that's, 
Uh, but, but there's people who are broader and people who are narrower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it depends on what you consider math and what you don't consider math. So it's hard to give an exact number, but but it's it's gotten so. I mean, it, it, it's it's a wonderful thing, really, that math has become so broad, and there's so many things that are being studied, and there's so many connections to the real world that are being made. That yeah, I mean, you could you could regard it as scary that you can never know all of it, or you can regard it as very reassuring that you'll never run out of interesting things to learn. Yeah, so um, lots of things to learn. Um, and do you think it's important for um, high school students to, if they were um, targeted to people who, who really enjoy mathematics, do you think that they should um, choose a field, like narrow it down and just look at, for example, um, algebraic topology just for their whole life and then just stare at that problem and make sure they're super good? No, no, no. In high school, you should learn everything that's being offered. As an mm-hmm. undergraduate, you should try to be as broad as possible. Mm-hmm. As a first-year graduate student, they even encourage people to keep an open mind and oh. try. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice when the students choose a graduate school. It's nice when they have some idea of a direction they might go, which would help them choose a school that at least has something in that area. But but really, like my first-year advisees, I... I encourage them to um, keep their mind a little open, see what's around in the universe, in our university. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, and then, okay, at some point you have to write a thesis, so you have to specialize and figure out, but, but, but not, not until the first year of graduate school. As an undergrad, you should try to learn as much as possible. As a high schooler, you should try to learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really surprised even for undergrad because um, I thought at first, I thought maybe for undergrad or the last year of high school, you should stick to a problem and then figure it out for your whole life. But um, that's probably not true. You have to, of course, as you mentioned, um, broaden your perspective. Your t- choices might change in your future. Exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because maybe like I've heard that even people who uh, first year as a history major, they switch to like a totally math major. So like they might just change maybe. But we have a lot of them. Yeah. 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 So um, what are normally your um, teaching methods in, at university? Do you normally handwrite the math formulas or you prepare a PowerPoint to showcase your, your lectures or, or both? No, I, I like traditional board Uh, lectures. I think I understand things better that way. So for one thing, if you're teaching, if you're writing things yourself, you're doing it at human speed. And then the students can absorb it in human speed. And the more you say it and write it, they can see this is the thing you think is is important. And, you know, I I really want to get things as much through the human um, channel as possible. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. I think blackboard lectures are, I mean, I've I've taught other ways when I had to. And certainly in math conferences, there's this kind of conference we have where you get two 20-minute talks. So 20-minute talks I do with transparencies because, yeah. because they're sort of fast. But if it's possible, I really like the human speed, the human uh, presentation through the human. Yeah. So more like a... Mm, I would say that your method is more 
um, humanly connected, human connection, and yeah. less like, because um, we have AI right now, everything's technological, but I think you prefer this one-on-one um, -on -one human to human connection. Oh, one-on-one -on -one is wonderful, but even if I have a class, I yeah. really prefer writing myself on a blackboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I hear lectures, I really prefer it when the person writes on the blackboard. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have just um, a bombardment of information um, presented on the, on a PowerPoint, it's like, oh, what is this about? And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. And how many um, students do you have per class? Oh, it really, it really depends. So in the graduate classes, um, Sometimes it's less than 10 mm -hmm. um, undergraduate classes. But again, I mean, I don't know. There was one class I taught once and it was, I had 40 something. And the next time I taught it was like 15. It really varies. Mm -hmm. um, um, you can't, I mean, to, to run a class, if it's graduate, we need at least five. And if it's undergraduate, we need at least 10. But, um, but like when we teach regular uh, first year science uh, calculus, then it's like 60-ish or 70-ish. Mm -hmm. So it's a really large classroom. So compared to large classes and small classes, which environment do you prefer and which one's more easier to teach, do you think? Oh, I think small classes are easier and better. It's just mm -hmm. For the university, but I mean, I think students really benefit from having the instructor look at them and try to see if they understand or not. And they say, oh, well, okay, I'm being looked at. I guess I should figure out whether I'm understanding. I mean, they feel much more uh, committed to um, to, particip to, to participating in a lecture in the class if they, you know, mm -hmm. People see what they're doing and expect them to understand and are there to help them if they don't understand. So, yeah, for sure. And I think that in a smaller um, room, it's sort of like more engaging. Like I'm not, I'm not the one who mixes up with 70 or a hundred other people. And yeah, yeah, I think um, so in your 70, like you, you as you mentioned, uh, in a 70 people class, do you think there are students who raise their hands to speak up or are there much engagement in your large classes? Well, in 70, yeah, there are people who raise their hands. It's often the same ones, but one tries to, I, I, I don't like, when I was a student, I wouldn't like having people call on me randomly. Yeah, so yeah. I don't call on people randomly, but I love it when people, um, uh, different people participate, but but even if there's if it's all, always the same ones, if it's somebody who's willing to uh, show that they don't understand something, usually there's many other people who don't understand it, and um, and they appreciate that. They appreciate that person who asks their questions. Yeah, yeah, they do, and I appreciate it. It also slows me down. It makes things more. Mm -hmm. It, it it shows me where where people want more support. So yeah, for sure. I think that that really makes sense. Um, so uh, because our um, the whole math field is like so broad. Um, 
uh, do you think any math fields will stop developing through time? Oh, oh, all the fields have ebbs and flows, and that's the way it goes. I mean, there are periods where you're, there's some, like if somebody made a breakthrough, then everybody wants to see what the breakthrough would imply to their problems. If somebody mm -hmm. made a into another field, then suddenly there's all this excitement about, uh, you know, whether there's applications that will be useful. Um, there's also just fashions sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've heard that PDE is very fashionable nowadays. A lot of people work on that and also number oh, theory. Yeah, well, number theory is sort of, well, but both of them are sort of eternal because yeah. PDE, right, what are the big inspirations for mathematics? I mean, the world around us, physics and stuff, and that involves various differential equations mm -hmm. and the properties of the natural numbers. So the, these are the two big things that led to developments of things. So I think they'll they'll always be in fashion. Yeah. So um, in pure math, we have a lot of um, um, conjectures too. Um, do you think that um, pure math are uh, most like in science we have hypotheses and then we have plenty of debates and in pure math do you think a lot of concepts are debatable or they are um, for sure um, this theorem or or do you think yeah oh no that's the beautiful thing about mathematics I and mean, if you prove the theorem and you didn't make a mistake then you have proved that theorem mm -hmm. so it's not debatable like it is what it is I mean sometimes people write these very long proofs that are very complicated and people wait till some experts read it and figure out if it, if it works or doesn't work because if there's a small mistake in the middle maybe the whole thing doesn't work but mm -hmm. but once once the proof has been accepted what once people several people have understood how it works then it tends to be i mean okay sometimes Sometimes it's sneaky. Sometimes there's sneaky mistakes, but but basically, yeah. often also when somebody proves something, then people know it's true, and then maybe it's easier for people psychologically maybe to find other proofs. So if you could prove something by two different ways, mm -hmm. more confidence that it's true. But 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 the the question of whether something is true, I mean, okay, if somebody finds a mistake, then that's that's a pity, and the, and the thing is not the, the proof false, but but it's not so much of an argument like the fashion now is to accept this theorem now the fashion is not to accept this theorem there isn't mm -hmm. any of that. That, that that's one of the nice things about mathematics mm -hmm. it's also, it also also gives you self-confidence like that, that's yeah. the wonderful thing about proofs if if i can prove that such and such is true then unless somebody tells me that i made a mistake on line seven then i know it's true and i don't care what other people say <laughs> i have confidence that it's true. yeah for sure. And um, do you also, um, when writing uh, a math proof, do you recommend um, showing it to your friends or or you? Showing it to peers. Uh, absolutely. It's very good to show it to peers. Because yeah. some people might think, oh, my math idea will be leaked to other people <laughs> or whatever. Oh, well, okay. If you have super hot things. Um, but it's good to have like people you trust mm -hmm. who are close to you. <laughs> Yeah, at the level where you are, you can show them, run things by them. Yeah. Um, so uh, another question about regarding math clarity, um, especially writing a math paper. Um, 
how do you think um, one should make their math proof as clear as possible, um, like formatting or the structure in math language? Oh, formatting is not, not too dense. I mean, uh, basically, I think more people err on the side of, of omitting details. With my students, I tell them that when they write homework, they can mm -hmm. say that things are obvious if, if I call them on it, then they will immediately start explaining to me why it's true without having to think. Now, it might take them two days, but they won't have to think. And if they have to think why it's true and they won't be able to just start telling me why it's true, then they can't just say it's obvious. Um, you should think very clearly. And once you think very clearly, then you're probably going to write it in an okay way. And there's still this, the question of, of what level, uh, how many details you should fill in. But um, the, the, the correct answer there is you imagine who your audience is and try to figure out what level of detail. I mean, within good papers, there are papers that are more detailed than papers that are less detailed. Mm-hmm. It's always better to add as much detail and description as possible because a lot of people think that oh this is so repetitive and no it's not always no no it's 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 a fine balance um, mm -hmm. but um, but I, I I prefer to err on the side of too much detail and maybe people some people don't like that but that's my personal but but you can't write every detail I mean you have to have your audience in mind. And if there are things that are going to be obvious to your audience, then they don't need to be spelled out in detail. But you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, use the fact that you don't want it to be too detailed as a shortcut to avoid thinking clearly about what exactly it is that you're trying to say. Because mm -hmm. if right. you don't think clearly before you write, it's it's not going to come out good. Yeah. So regarding coming up to coming up a new math formula, do you think that you need a lot of tons of math expertise and um, knowledge in order to come up with your own formula? Or do you think that a lot of high school students, they can come up with their own formula and how they work like a math formula themselves? Or do you think you need to be a postdoc or someone I mean, so it, much? It depends. it depends. If you just want to say something and you don't care if it's interesting or not, that's not very difficult. Um, the, the question is, how do you say something interesting? And I think trying to understand something if you really want to do research, it's it's nice to have guidance from somebody more experienced. Mm -hmm. Tell you what's obvious, where you can look for problems. Um, it is true that the more you've seen, the more tricks you know, the more methods you know, the more ways to change the problem into something you can work with. You have so it's that's another reason for this breadth that I was recommending earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but I think coming up with something new per se is not so hard. The question is coming up with something new that's interesting. And when you're young, I mean, that's why even with PhDs, mm -hmm. you have a thesis advisor and often the thesis advisor either gives you a problem or gives you feedback as you select a problem. Is this doable? Is this interesting? Has this been done? Finding something that's both doable and interesting is, is difficult. And yeah. so high school students shouldn't feel 
um, inadequate if they can't do that themselves. Yeah, because I think it takes um, even mathematicians a long time to exactly. new formula. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But there are pro programs for high school students that connect them, for example, to graduate students mm -hmm. who can help them find such problems. And also, they shouldn't worry about doing research so much in high school. They could start with learning something. Yeah, I think a lot of high school students are thinking to apply to research programs or I have to work with a prof to um, to apply to university even um, so I can get in at least get into a big university. Um, but I think from a lot of interviews from other uh, professors, um, they also recommend just um, reading for fun, reading math books, I think. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. because when you're in high school, you want experience, you want to see what's there, you want to see how people deal with problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, are there any math books that you, in particular, you really enjoy that you recommend for high school students or undergrads or postdocs or anyone out there that you find really helpful? Um, I mean, I think just a a nice, so, so I really, like for our honors program, I really like things that have proofs. So I think just linear algebra with proofs, there are many books who do that, or mm -hmm. calculus with proofs, like the beginning of an analysis. There's a book called Baby Rudin. <laughs> yeah. so, so reading a, a introductory text with proofs slowly about a subject like uh, elementary calculus or like linear algebra is a really nice place to start. Mm -hmm. It doesn't assume much, and 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 you really, and you know, people are used to reading like lots of books for their humanities courses, and they think, yeah. okay, I'm going to read a book a week or whatever. Oh. No. <laughs> you yeah. won't and that's okay if you learn something if you you know spend time and you learn something then that's that's great and if you take a semester and you read a chapter in, in a book and you understand it that's great mm -hmm. um yeah i think even do you prefer reading like five or six math books at a time or do you think that nowadays students who read math books one at a time instead of having five or six books at a time and they read it together. <laughs> well, sometimes there are subjects that are treated by a couple of books and they're different in their approaches and you can understand a bit from the one book and then bring it to the other book and, and go back and forth. So um, certainly there are situations where I was trying to read something, so understand something and had several papers and go back and forth between them and that helped. Um, reading whole math books is, is a big job. People don't do it so much, but well, when you're more advanced, like when you're taking a class then then often there's the main textbook and some supplementary books. And sometimes I, I um, when I teach a class, I, I teach from the book that I think is best, but I give the students a bunch of other books, which 
different people learn differently. That's another important thing about math. Different people learn differently and maybe the other books work better for them. And sometimes people were really excited about books that I just stuck on the list because I thought, why not? Yeah. Well, whatever works, but, but if you're not taking a course, often people are motivated by what interests them and they find it some later stage in a book and then maybe they need to read up to the point in order to understand that, but maybe they won't read the rest of it. Or some people are very disciplined and they can read books and I admire that. I, I'm more the kind of person who finds what I need and then I try to read the earlier stuff so I understand how they did that. Mm -hmm. I wanted. Yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes if you just hold on to five or six books, it might slow you down or especially for some people, they just, oh, this, what, what I found super funny um, from my interviews is that a lot of mathematicians, they buy hundreds and thousands of books, like oh, yeah. um, classical, like the premium edition of math. And then it's the last copy on their shelf. And then it's like a whole book math math shelf and then oh I asked oh so did you read all of them and then they said no I didn't I just buy them to keep them there <laughs> so well no but, but it's good to have the books there so that when you I mean you have to I mean, you don't I don't buy specialist books in different fields but I buy books in my area even if I don't intend to read them immediately because you know they might have something I want at some other stage and I sometimes look at, if I have energy and I don't have pressing projects, I, I look at my books and I sort of find some interesting things and I read some local bit. I mean, just reading a whole math book is a major project and, you know, it's sometimes it's what you want to do, but often it isn't. And, and I totally understand having more. Yeah, I have, I, I've, interacted in some way with each of my books but I haven't read them all yeah it's especially especially math like it's really hard to read yourself I think um do you think that you need maybe a friend or a teacher there so you guys can read it together um and figure things out that's that that helps but you could do it yourself if you if you are not committed to going through it at some rate that somebody invented so if you're reading this the speed it takes you and then when you understand something new you you know pat yourself on the back you have achieved something mm -hmm. if, if you if you go with this attitude you can also do it yourself it's better with a friend it's better with a teacher for sure but you can do it yourself as long as you don't give yourself crazy standards about going really quickly and the book is at a suitable level yeah yeah for sure um to end off, do you have like um, a major last recommendation for high school students or whatever, whoever who's super interested in math, like any last recommendations? Um, yeah, don't worry about speed. The name of the game is understanding how things work, why things work. Try when you're being taught various techniques and, and algebra and calculus, whatever you're taking try to understand why they work that's mm -hmm. the core of the thing well, thank you so much for answering my questions <laughs>